realised this uh, music bed is actually a different music bed to our traditional one. But hey, we've got a new music bed for 2023, and that was, of course, in the plan. Uh, hello, Mr. Bradley. Hello. It's a jolly little ditty, isn't it? To get it is. us underway. It is. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good overnight. I'm Anthony. And I'm JB. And I'm looking forward to this podcast, actually, because there's a subject in it that I think um, is dear to our hearts. And Yes, and we do have a couple of listener questions, plus JB. At about 40 minutes into this podcast, we have a guest joining us. Oh, my goodness. Um, I asked them to come on for a chit-chat around burnout, um, specifically in leadership. But we'll... Wow. Yeah. It's exciting. Um, I just thought I'd do that for a bit of a spicing. Don't get me wrong. uh, They're a legend, um, but... um, Is it Dame uh, Edna Everidge? Uh, unfortunately not. It's uh, Putin. I've invited him oh, to wow. come on and tell us about burnout and leadership because I suspect he might be suffering from it. But um, interestingly, we have a listener question around the war and leadership. So um, that it's, we've got some interesting stuff to cover today. But before we do get into the, the meat of it, um, uh, how are you, Mr. Bradley? What's new in the land of Bradley land? Well, all sorts of things happening. Um, yet another involvement in another um, business, uh, which um, is kind of bubbling along quite nicely. Um, I've I've got this little thing that I've created called the Conversation Partnership. Um, it's very which, exciting. Yeah, which is a place for people to go to have a damn good listening to and a damn good conversation avec moi. And... Um, so I'll tell you more about that as we as we bubble along with it. it it's a sort of emerging organic thing. It's not a it's not a potato. It's actually a it's a product. Amusingly, I had um, a, a colleague of mine contact me saying, "Oh my goodness, has JB left?" I went, "No." I said, "He's just he's respawned." Uh, I've got alongside. I've got fingers fingers yeah. in many pies. Yes, American <laughs> pies and all. Um, so how is the life of being a grandfather these days? Oh, well, it's uh, just about the most exciting thing you could ever possibly have. I'd thoroughly recommend it to anybody. In fact, if we don't uh, do it, then um, basically human race is, is pretty much over. So I've, I've gone first amongst many, many friends to become a grandfather. And all of a sudden, I've now got three uh, little grandchildren. And I was with them a few weeks ago, uh, all huddled on a sofa. And they were all kind of gooing and and chatting and doing things babies do. I'm I'm making a um, pop up puppet theatre at the moment um, for my eldest daughter, and it's um, a fully fully built thing at the moment. And all I'm waiting for is the curtains to go in it. Um, and these are the kind of things that if you do become a, a grandparent, you start end up doing. You end up making a whole load of things for them. And it gets very, very exciting and probably very boring for our listeners. I won't go no, on about it. No, I don't it. think so. I, I was about to say I'm probably very expensive because all the materials these days, they all add up, don't they? Well, you see that my daughter insisted. She said, Dad, this has to be done with recycled material. Oh, my God. That costs twice as much as getting well, it off I know. the shelf. You have to go and buy it. <laughs> Um, No, but I did have a few things left over from the shed I built, which is what I'm talking to you from now. But um, I I have I have used as many recycled materials as I can uh, in it. I'd probably be up 50 percent, to be fair. Um, But she's making the puppets. Um, As you know, she's an opera singer. So she's going to be doing operatic pop up puppet (laughs) theatre. Uh, around the UK, and who knows um, where that will lead? God only yeah. knows. Um, it's exciting. I'm excited it is for actually. Her. Yeah, I think I, I think it's a wonderful thing. So when you've got kids, um, you know, you've got to be quite sort of creative about how you manage all of that as parents. And so she's combining her singing abilities and also getting her kids involved she they've all got little finger puppets now so they can kind of get involved so it's Is becoming it, I, I quite take it a they will, there, there will be opera though right oh yeah yeah it's all it's all kind of um operatic stuff um mainly i think styled on gilbert and sullivan they are actually writing uh their own material but um are you familiar with the gilbert and sullivan opera stuff no um HMS Pinafore. We sail the ocean 
captain blue and a saucy ship's a beauty we're sober men and true and attentive to our duty it's i can i can only but wonder where m's got her opera singing capability <laughs> from jb <laughs> anyway enough about me and my pop-up life what about your life and what's happening I, I there's so many things i'm sure that you probably do want to say and other things that you probably don't but no, it well, no. Um, just life is is crazy as ever, isn't it? We've been doing this podcast scarily. We're into our fourth year now, and um, oh my god, uh, life doesn't relent, which is no bad thing. Um, kids are busy. Um, uh, wife is busy. The um, so it was my birthday, as JB will know, a couple of days ago. Um, for those of you listening to the recording, that's irrelevant because you could be listening to this at any time. However, uh, on my birthday, I was promised steak at steak dinner at home. Uh, basically, the day before, a few days before, what do you want for dinner? I want to cook you a nice dinner on that night. That'd be nice, won't it? I always cook on her birthday and Mother's Day and things and all that. It's all very nice. Anyway, so steak was chosen. All very excited. And then at midday on my birthday, uh, my wife works in a school. I'm guessing some of you all know that. Uh, Ofsted call up my wife's school to say, we'll see you tomorrow. It's inspection time. Now, for the international audiences amongst us, they are the um, Her Majesty's or His Majesty's, should I say, inspectorate of schools. So Ofsted come in, inspect the schools and give them a, um, a, a not very good, an OK, a good or an outstanding rating. Um, so, um, because they had an outstanding 10 years ago or 13 years ago, in fact, they haven't been inspected since. Wow. Um, but annoyingly the framework has changed. So it is almost impossible now to get outstanding unless you get a hundred percent of everything, which is right. not impossible. Um, so, um, it is inevitable that they will not probably get the outstanding rating, but as we record today, she's still in the midst of the inspection. So that's my life. So birthday was torpedoed. Um, and instead it was me, the children and the sister-in-law cooking dinner together. And then my wife joined us when we served up my meal to myself. So there you go. Oh, I, it's so, it's so <clears throat> sad, um, that that, uh, happened really. Uh, I, I, I think, um, it's surprising that the Ofsted inspections only happen, um, at intervals of 13 years. I mean, that's, well, it, so, that's so a crazy in, uh, thing. I looked it up last night. Traditionally, it's every four to six years, but right. under under a previous government's legislation, yeah. any school that was rated outstanding was barred from being inspected ah, for ten years. Okay, I think that's pretty bonkers. Bearing in mind, in the modern age, to your point, really, JB, if we look in in business land, staff retention is at best four years these days in most organisations. I would say that's a bit of a sweeping statement, but let's pretend it's true. And on that basis. Um, case in point, at my wife's school, there is one member of staff that's there now that was there when the last inspection happened. So how on earth can you evaluate? And I believe schools are ultimately about people and leadership and capability of the people that drive the education agenda forward for the children. So 10 years is a bit of a crazy gap, I think, but um, the, the framework has been changed apparently and we'll see what happens. But yes, uh, my wife... We'll no doubt find out how they've done in the next few days. There's a subject we're going to talk about later, which um, has got a reference to a book by Brian Kaplan, um, which is uh, an interesting book. And mm. uh, it's why the education system is a waste of time and money. Is that the um, book? I only got the extract from the um, the Harvard Business School yeah, report. Yeah, it, it, it refers to it refers to that um, book, and and basically the 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 well, we can talk about it um, later. But the the premise is, you know, the the education system is geared, particularly higher education, is geared towards signal uh, signaling model um, rather than human capital model. Um, so basically, I've got this degree, I've got this um, MBA, I've got this master's, blah, 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 blah. And it's all to go on the CV to make your employment prospects that much greater. Yeah. Rather than, um, you know, human capital, which is right. How are we going to make these people um, more uh, effective and more productive uh, in the roles that they have right now and in yeah. the future? And it's quite. It's, it, I, I, I don't see why we don't talk about that now. To be honest, JB. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so um, the, the topic that JB is alluding to is Harvard Business School produced a, or Harvard Business Review, should I say, produced a report around why L and D is failing in organisations. And whilst I recognise this is a leadership podcast, as does JB, 
I think a lot of you that listen to us will know that we work in learning organizations uh, and we support most businesses around learning. And therefore we thought, well, what better way to talk about the importance of learning for your people than talking about the value of L&D. Now, <clears throat> the, the, the challenge um, that JB and I have often talked about is L&D is seen as discretionary spend. Often yeah. when we and JB do face-to-face -face or virtual programs, we will often unfortunately have to disclaim it at the beginning to say, we recognize we've all been there at the beginning of a program thinking, what's the point and why bother? I've been on rubbish training courses before. Because yeah. I hate to say it, the reputation of L&D, learning and development, for those of you that don't know what L&D stands for, is pretty poor. It, and, and to JB's point, um, you know, it, it's often seen as a, as, a, as a CV builder for the leader of the L&D department rather than credible value add to the organization. Um, and in a world we're going into, which looks like a year of financial uncertainty to most of us around the world with inflation and potential recessions, as it stands, we're not in recession in the UK yet, but I suspect it's coming. Um, organizations are going to look at cutting that discretionary spend. And any leader that does not have complete measurable understanding of learning interventions, return on investment, you're not going to get L&D budget. So if you're a line manager on this webinar today or the, on this podcast, sorry, thinking, how am I going to build, uh, how am I going to get this training course into my budget from my bosses this year? If there's no business case and it's warm and fluffy and it's all about you inviting some inspiring speaker to come in and inspire your people for 15 minutes, it's not worth it, guys. Anyway, uh, this is why we wanted to talk about it. JB, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the article from your perspective and we can kick it about a bit? Well, so the article um, was from the Harvard Business Review, and um, it was entitled Where Companies Go Wrong with Learning and Development by a guy called Steve Glaveski. And um, the the first thing that I um, I think the listeners ought to know about is that, uh, well, how, how many billions do you think organizations spend globally on training every year is the question. Yeah. And it's a lot bigger than I thought. So the last data I had was 2015 and it was a lot lower than that. And all we need to do is get 1% of this and we're laughing. Um, 300, yeah. £359 billion. £359 billion um, spent globally uh, on L&D. And here's some... And that's in business, isn't it? Rather than in, yeah. in school education. Uh, absolutely. So this is this is learning and development within um, organisations globally. And um, here's some other quite scary statistics, really. And you just think, what, what, what is going on here? So 75% of 1,500 managers surveyed from across 50 organisations were dissatisfied with their company's learning and development function why 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 only 12 percent of employees apply new skills learned in L&D programs to their jobs only 12 percent of employees apply new skills what do you reckon's going wrong Ant? um i hate to say it i think it's vanity projects and warm and fluffy interventions yeah um, I'm not convinced it has material impact on the organizations. Um, and I do think, by the way, as a disclaimer to those listening, probably highly offended by my statements, because I, I'm very aware that I have some people in my peer network on LinkedIn who follow me and are quite supportive of me. But I probably, in their mind, threw them under the bus the other day when I posted on social media about the fact that I think there are too many vanity projects, which... L&D leaders are more interested in posting about it on social media than the actual impact it has on the business. Give us an um, example. What, so a, 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 tip, a vanity project that an L&D or, or HR director would okay. put in place, what would it be? So I'm going to go on LinkedIn now and I'm going to look up someone that I know that's famed for, um, unfortunately, and they're, they're a nice person, but I think they're a little bit narky. I'm not going to name them, by the way. Um, goodness for that obvious reasons but this is the last four posts that this person has done wow 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 thank you x at x organization for the awe-inspiring session today for our elevate women in leadership program x spoke over over to over 50 people this organization's got thousands of employees yeah uh, on the on the topic of finding your super that power mine is curiosity what's yours okay now um this person um, is, I suspect, as nice as they are, 
Um, and I know for a fact they're not very good at, at actually building credibility in their organization. They have no influence or no power in that business whatsoever. But what they do is is too often is they they book these expensive people who come in and do something inspiring. But what you know there might be some you know, there might be some lessons learned. Don't get me wrong. So there are a time and place for for example, um, I've had a, a keynote speaker come in before and do a, a presentation to a, a load of leaders um, on um, on on overcoming adversity and challenge. And sometimes the keynote speaker then brings the thinking to a story, which you and me talk about a lot in leadership. But um, but too often, I think they go for really expensive, almost headline grabbers to give the impression that they're a huge organization with huge L&D spend. But in reality, as I've just read out there, 50 employees out of thousands listen to this speech. And yeah. a cost per delegate, you know, if you've paid 5,000 euros to hire that person, you've paid 100 euros for someone to listen to someone talk 45 minutes per person where's the scalability in that for the organization where is the return on investment and i can be pretty damn sure that you know that that is then going to replace a program that could have touched 5000 employees if it was done better well we referenced brian kaplan uh, earlier in uh, the, the case against education and he he argues a, a, a similar but different point um which is that uh, L&D education is so much about learning and not so much about learning a useful job skill, um, mm. but about people showing off or signaling is the word that he um, uses. And he, he talks about um, this this CPE um, for, for, for listeners. That's the continuous professional education credits. Uh, that people uh, seem to love and adore, and that's that's a kind of whole industry in its own right, isn't it? And I, I think people um, really get so focused on building up their uh, CPE credits that actually, you know, does it does it actually uh, impact the work? Does it impact skill? Does it impact learning and if people aren't retaining very much information anyway because of the quality or frequency of the learning um it comes down to a lot of this and i think this is where the two points both both the one that you made earlier and this one it's all about a case for promotion isn't it yep completely and, agree completely agree. and that's that's perhaps where things are seriously um going wrong um <sighs> So the the article also um, relates to the to the other point that I made there, which is that we forget what we've learned pretty damn quickly. Um, so he says that in the first year, um, college students forget um, at least sixty percent of what they learnt in high school. Is that big? Wow! I don't think I learned anything at school uh, at all. Uh, I think Ooh. I forgot a hundred percent of anything that I was supposed to have. Um, See, uh, uh, so I'm I'm going to be a little bit defensive of of our education as children. And by the way, you know I hate my hated my education for so mm. many reasons. Um, I was private school educated. I think you were as well, weren't you, JV? Um, mm. For a period. Well, um, uh, until my dad went bankrupt, and then yeah. <laughs> um, I um, was thrust into the mainstream. So I, I did mainstream sixth form, but which is 16 to 18, but uh, private from, from birth until that point. Um, and um, the pressure they put you on in those educational institutions, I think, are unfortunate, um, which I think half the time is what causes burnout. But I would like to think that it gave me grounding and drive, which may be a subconscious learning during the course of my education. And actually, arguably today, I know what bad looks like. And as, and as an old boss once said to me once, it's the bad experiences that you can learn from to make sure you don't repeat what someone taught you. And I thought, okay, that's a really interesting piece of advice. Um, uh, which yeah, is that is that is great. I, I think that's tremendous advice. And uh, I I was pretty traumatised by my education. <laughs> You're still getting over it, you say? Yeah, I'd say I'm still still getting over the the, the worst of it. Uh, but I tell you what, I think you're absolutely right, Ant. Um, that that traumatic experience of my education actually 
um, meant that I went on to make up for it and, you know, went and, and studied and studied and studied whilst I was away. It's a, it's a hell of a hard thing to do, by the way. Any kids listening, mm-hmm. don't do it that way. Huh. Uh, well, you, and, you know, go on, JB, sorry. Try, try and learn as much as you can at school. And, um, you know, if you've got a good teacher, oh, my goodness, cling on to your best teachers because they are marvellous. And I can just can I just credit Mr. Goodwin? And any any relatives of Mr. Goodwin? Um, Mine was I, Mr. Walker. Oh God, Mr. Goodwin, I loved you. You were firm and you were strict, but you had a brilliant, brilliant way of telling stories and making things practical and combining geography with history and woodwork and life skills. And and I, he was just remarkably marvellous and about the only only teacher that I actually learned anything from at school. Isn't it interesting, though, that if we all if and people listening to this podcast think about their best teachers at school, they often were brilliant communicators. Oh, yeah. And if yeah. we think about our best bosses, there's a commonality there, my friends. Yeah, yeah. They're brilliant communicators. JB and I spend an awful lot of our time at work convincing people to be better communicators, either in one-to-one communications or group settings, whether that's managing meetings or inspiring a group of people. If you don't get your communications right, you're going to struggle. And if you think about those good teachers, as JB says, his his best teacher was super strict. Yeah. But but but, my, but they fair. made the subject yeah fair. But they made the subject interesting. Yeah. And I think as leaders, we and bearing in mind, seventy percent of our learning is done on the job. You know, you're going to learn an awful lot from your boss, and therefore that's why, as a line manager, you have a unique opportunity to educate your people. You won't realize you're doing it until afterwards. And it may be three, five, 10 years later when someone comes to you saying, when I worked for you, you, it was you were the best boss I ever had. And here's why, you know, I know you and me, JB, look back at our old bosses and think, yeah, they're the ones. And ironically, we keep in touch with some of our old bosses, whether we thought they were good or not. And a lot of them actually now regret you and I were having a conversation about someone that remained nameless that you and I both know that was a senior executive in an old radio company. And uh, I spoke to them a few years ago and I said, oh, yeah, I used to remember you used to scare the sense out of everybody when you were around. And he said, I really regret those times. So that's not the reputation I wanted to leave. But I didn't realise it at the time. A light bulb went off in my head about five minutes ago as you were speaking. Hmm. And what, um, what Mr Goodwin did for me at school was made me feel that he knew me, he focused me, and he valued me. So I felt known by him. I felt focused by him. I felt valued by him. So, you know, he was he was firm, but he was very fair. Um, and he do you know one of the one of the things that was really, really cool about Mr. Goodwin, he repeated things without it becoming boring. So um had you heard before this article, Anne, had you heard of Herman Ebbinghaus? No. Okay, well, so, um, and nor had I, to be I'm honest. not very red, JB, as you well know. <laughs> well, this guy, Herman Ebbinghaus, came up um, with a thing called the forgetting curve. And the forgetting curve um, is about the fact that we will forget about 75% of things after about six days. So uh, there is a strong argument uh, to say that we need to be repetitive in the way that we provide learning opportunity. And that repetition in in the uh, article was a thing called spaced repetition. Um, and this was from another um, guy called um, Cecil Alec Mace, a psychologist. And that's this is where it gets quite interesting. And I reckon Mr. Goodwin and good teachers kind of get this stuff naturally. Mm. Um, and what you do is you you so you blast someone with a bit of information. You you do you provide them with a model um, that that is really appropriate to their day to day work, and you you know you get them practicing it in real time. Um, and, you know, using technology these days, you've got all sorts of things that you can fire off, like texts and emails and things to get people to be reminded of it. And um, gradually you increase the intervals 
of that learning intervention. So you start with the one day, um, and then two days later, there's some something practical that you do with it, and you engage with them one way or the other. And then you go back in four days, eight days, and so on. And that periodic exposure um, to that information helps people to retain it. And in that way, with space repetition, I hadn't heard that term before, we can remember about 80% of what we learn after 60 days. Now, that blew my socks off when I read that, because I just thought, you know, I used to remember it. (laughs) And I still remember it, which is quite extraordinary. So we... um, with L and D, you know, we have to be think. We have to be really mindful uh, of the quality, obviously, the quality of the the, the content uh, and its appropriateness to the skills at the time, rather than this kind of fluffy uh, stuff that's a, a promotion for somebody. Um, because didn't I do well to get Johinda Hearn to come and talk to us um, at our conference with with fifty people in it? Um, what does that do for the rest of the organization? Um, so we've got to get over that kind of this thing is about um, the credits that we get for our learning. Make it appropriate to the day to day and actually be, <coughs> be, be very, very mindful of the spaced repetition of that learning. What's interesting, JB, you talk about CPE credits or CPD in the UK, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, that uh, we were at a conference or a, an exhibition in November last year, and the the, the sole hook for the um, exhibition to attract footfall was to say, "Come to these talks and you'll earn CPD credits," which yeah. we thought was a bit cheeky, to be honest. Yeah, um, because a lot of these people turned up, and we were told footfall because they're really interested in your stands, and then they came, they came to the the talks, and then they disappeared again, which was quite frustrating. Um, and I, I think to your point, it's a tick box exercise, unfortunately. Um, without doing too much of an advert for CEDL, um, all of our stuff can be counted towards CPD credits and, and CPE credits. But the beauty is, I suppose, it gives people a variety of courses that might be of interest to them rather than um, being force-fed something that they're told they have to go on. And that article with Harvard Business Review does talk about the fact that you know, training people, someone on time management, they've got no time management problems. Guess what? It's going to be a complete waste of their time. Um, but, you know, offering uh, just at the right time a session that's relevant to their needs is, is perfect. And I'd like to think that what we do with our clients and you and me, JB, collectively, we run a repeated schedule of content that means that people can join it when they need it. But it's still live. It still gives that interaction. The other thing, JB, if that you noticed in the article, it didn't talk about mechanical learning. It talked about, you know, live learning, you know, but 60 minute sessions, not three day events, which is what we do. Um, And I think um, all of those things and and look, you know, why are we talking about this in a leadership podcast? Well, a few reasons. One for me, it's actually recognizing as JB's just alluded to, there is some commonality between our best teachers and in L&D versus our best bosses. And bearing in mind, 70% of learning is done on the job. You have a responsibility. And by the way, you will have a reputation through ironically not realizing that you are an educator or not because of what you do in terms of your communication and also teaching people what not to do. Second to that, you have a responsibility to your people to provide them the right amount of learning. And actually you need to be going into your L and D functions today, of course, saying to them to use Seedle, but aside from that, but you know, doing these nice, pretty sounding events, if they're not relevant, and they don't have practical takeaways that people can practice immediately afterwards, which is what that report does lean on very heavily. If they can't apply that learning in the very next day, you're wasting your people's time and yeah. you're not going to get that budget back. Look back at those learning interventions you did last year and ask yourself, what are we still doing today that we didn't do last year before that learning event happened? And if you can't articulate it, then you wasted your money. You pissed your money up the wall. I'm hating to say it. And I think that's where... I'd like to think me and JB that work with groups almost don't want to release them until we know they can do something differently and they've practiced it enough that they're confident to give it a go. Um, But that article really, I think, backs up the claims that if you don't apply the learning, you're wasting your time. But the learning, therefore, has to be applicable. 
you know, it's all well and good having some storytelling and some theory, but it's got to have some practical elements to there too. And in earlier episodes, JB, you and I used to talk about getting, let's get practical. In fact, I think we should have a jingle yeah. for it somewhere. But you know. I think we must make a jingle if we haven't got one. There you go, that's about as good as it gets. Um, I'd, I, um, what, what I think we're talking about here, and it is referred to in the article, is about um, the, the lean uh, learn, the lean learning, which... Um, is the stuff that we can learn from Toyota's manufacturing system. And um, there's, there's, there's four points to it. And uh, let's see how we've done so far in this webinar. So uh, number one, learning the core of what you need to learn. Uh, I won't go on about the Pareto's law, but it's 80-20. And uh, I think the Toyota um the old toys methodology was you, you know focus on the 20 percent that you need to know rather than the 80 percent that you don't um so that's that's the whole concept of of lean learning right there and um as you as you were rightly saying there and number two is applying it to real world situations immediately and getting as close to the front line as you possibly can get it uh and at the same time, and I think this is where you and I get quite passionate, is number three, <laughs> is uh, receiving uh, immediate feedback uh, and refining your understanding. And I think that's where things like um, mentoring and coaching uh, on the spot uh, can be incredibly powerful, not too distant, not too far away. And then if you can, if you can get that uh, synchronized uh, training alongside that with the intervals that we were um, talking about you know the spaced repetition and that is that this kind of periodic exposure to information get that alongside that and then repeat the cycle mm -hmm. now I think we're getting away from the foothills and we're actually um, moving our way to um, base camp one base camp one uh, towards the summit of our of our possibilities um, the other thing is, uh, and it, it's one final thing that is that is suggested in this article. It's not they don't play around with it too much, but it, if if you get people um, involved in that learning, say we've achieved all of the things that we just talked about, you then um, get them to go and uh, train other people on it as close as you can to them having learned it themselves. The retention for them of what they learned is in percentage terms huge uh so so all of these things interconnect all of these things rather than spending a whole load of money on a corporate um few days in barcelona or um outer mongolia um then have a think about these these little nuggets of of information that you you pass down the line and the way that you synchronized l and d and training in in this way so that's the article do we get a round of applause now okay <laughs> Woo! <laughs> i do feel i'm I, oh I feel, I feel like i'm at a football match now um i think we should take a listener question because our okay, guests yes. will be arriving in a few minutes and oh, um, so we, yeah. we don't get too deep into a particular subject yeah um so uh listener question and i like this one but it, yeah. it's quite a big subject but here we go um the ukraine conflict oh right who's winning the battle in terms of leadership from the partnering countries partnering countries rather than Zelensky himself uh, well, I, I, I mean, look, we can kick it around however we want, really. I mean, clearly, Zelensky is is someone that we we no doubt believe has managed to, against all odds, inspire his his people. But then, putting politics aside, um, you know, there has been just this week some um, lack of leadership, you could argue, from Germany and the US because they've not been giving tanks up to support Ukraine, and weirdly. Um, a prime minister of the UK that's not particularly popular domestically is held in very high regard in Ukraine because he has led in terms of their support with with equipment. Now he's no longer in power, but as a country, 
the UK probably has been showing good leadership where Ukraine's concerned because they've been, I would say, clear in what they want to do and they've been supportive and they've they've led the way with other countries to then follow. And it, and it actually looks a little bit embarrassing that Germany and US have been so slow. And I don't know what opinions are from listeners on this particular subject. Um, but at the same time, I do think that all countries against the conflict, as in in support of Ukraine, have all been exceptional and unified in their message. And I think a, a communication has been good. I think where there is starting to be a little bit of graying around the edges is it's becoming a little bit political, I think, in certain countries. You know, I, I'm not sure domestically in the US how much support there is for, you know, there's enough issues going on at home. Why are you supporting this this third party nation, um, et cetera? Um, but that, that, uh, that's my take. I'd say UK um, is showing good leadership. Um, and Zelensky is an exceptional leader, evidently. Um, and, you know, it's uh, nearly, it is nearly a year in now, isn't it, since it all started? Um, and they are, it seems to be winning the war. They've lost a few battles, but they're winning the war. And their people's unwavering commitment is, is I think, quite inspiring. Um, yeah, that's my take. Well, uh, I'd, I'm probably <laughs> going to take a slightly different tack. Uh, I'd, I'd, I don't know what a former prime minister is doing in the Ukraine. Um, who was uh, disgraced and and kicked out of office. Um, but that's another uh, matter altogether. During his time in office, um, uh, and I, it is a controversial point, um, that he was so robust in his support um, of Zelensky. But I think it also helped him at various points of his premiership. May I just add was, that? Do you reckon it was a gamble? What do you mean? What part? As in, you know... Um... I'm going to go out all out and support them. Yeah. Um, and that may completely backfire on me in the future. But actually, if I, if I gamble this right, it will give me a legacy. We're talking about Johnson, right? I presume so now. I mean, that's, that's where yeah. you took the, the commentary. Yeah. Um, I, um, I, I, th th nothing, nothing will stop um, Johnson from um, taking opportunities because he is he is 100% driven by ego his own ego and mm. uh, so when when things are opportunistic for his premiership uh, he he would have he will do uh, anything to maintain his so-called legacy and so uh, for me um the support for ukraine whilst i 100% support everything that we've done so far um I, I i take issue with the word leadership in the context of that man um however uh i will put another side to this and actually big up olaf schultz now that might come as a surprise to people but when you when you when you think about what he's actually dealing with uh the relationship that germany has with russia and the fuel that it is required from Russia uh, over the years, and only recently they've managed to really reduce their dependency on uh, Russian oil and gas. Um, he's got that problem. He's got the problem of Germany's history, um, putting tanks uh, in other parts of, of, of the, the Europe, I mean that's that's a that's a big deal. He's also part of a coalition, and the coalition um, is is kind of some are really for it and some are really against it. I think, and I learned this morning that they are actually going to be providing a um, hundred tanks. I think it's a hundred um, to to the. I think they were always going to do that. To be fair, they're waiting. They were waiting for the US, weren't they? They didn't. I, I think so. I think so. I think rather than just saying we're going to do it and going ahead and doing it, 
Uh, they 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 held back to make sure that it was absolutely right that they get, got their coalition in order, that they dealt with all the issues of their of German history and also the dependency that they have had historically on uh, Russian oil and gas. What that moving all of those things around and making a decision? I'm going to big up Olaf today. I I think Olaf's done quite well. He's done pretty well. I think that's leadership. Uh, so uh, JB now um, has realised um, in the background whilst you were answering that question that our mystery guest has arrived, ladies and gentlemen. Yay! Hello, lovely to be here. Yay! Hello, lovely both? to see you. Do you like the sound effects? I expect that now every time I join the podcast uh, yeah. or There's any webinars. Something. Yeah, there is always something. I've got, I've got, I've got something. That said, I haven't played this JB yet, but to do an introduction to Laura, listen to this. It's a bit of tension music. So we're now introducing you to Laura Avery, who's a, a Seedle uh, trainer, mental health genius and expert, uh, and also a friend and colleague of mine and JB's. Uh, and between now and the end of today's podcast, not only will we be playing Millionaire, uh, we'll also be asking Laura some very exciting questions. So Laura, Ooh. your first question. Yeah, I'm in the hot uh, seat. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there you go. Um, so yeah, all the sound effects in the world. Anyway, um, uh, Laura, thank you for joining us today. Um, Laura, oh bless God. her, was messaged, I think, last night by one of our other colleagues saying, would you mind joining Ant and JB for the last 20 minutes? Because they need all the, the help they can get, frankly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, um, we, we've kept this subject um, on the sidelines until you got here, Laura, because we wanted to involve you in the conversation. Um, and um, so so for the listeners listening to this podcast, we've invited Laura on because our final subject that my, me and JB wanted to talk about today was burnout in leadership. Um, so a bit of context for you. Um, uh, we are recording this nearly a week. If it isn't, in fact, it might be a week today, actually. Um, Jacinda Ardern, um, the uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand, announced quite surprisingly to her public this time last week that she was going to step down as prime minister. Now, um, I want to put politics aside uh, completely from this because I'm very aware JB does bring politics into it, but I want to remain completely impartial <laughs> to you this. You brought Boris Johnson up. I didn't. Oh, I didn't mention Boris Johnson. I mentioned the country. But there you go. Um, anyway, there are, are people that have politicised the fact that clearly she was probably going to lose the next general election, so perhaps step down before she did. But I disagree with that. I actually think... Mm what came out in her resignation statement was quite an authentic and emotional um, suggestion that, that she needed to get out of this before she burnt out. And I think it resonated with me and I messaged JB about it at the time. And said we really should talk about this as a subject because um, as um, a leader at her level, it is, I believe a very isolated role. Um, and JB and I, I think, have talked about this before, that it's lonely at the top. Um, you have mm. to do what's right for, and JB, I'm stealing JB's words here, you have to do what's right for the shareholders and you have to do what's right for the employees and you've got to do what's right for the customer. And therefore juggling all three of those and at the same time convincing your family and loved ones, this is a really good dream job for me to be doing. Um, it means you almost have to be creative with how you communicate to ensure that everyone is on the same page. Um, anyway, that that's my take on the Yacinda Arden state stage. JB, what's your take? And then we'll ask Laura some questions to to bring her thinking to the table. Well, oh, I, yes. she she um, I think it, it could be described as a as a as a crisis leader. Um, you know, she had to deal with so many different uh, crisis during her her time in office and I think she did that extremely well I mean how many leaders have to deal with for example the Christchurch church um, mosque shootings which she 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 got very involved with that and it became um, very personal she also deal, dealt with the volcano disaster um, in New Zealand um, and uh, also the pandemic and you know her her her, you know, the, the, it was controversial the way that she um, managed it, but uh, for some, it was an extraordinary um, way of of dealing with it. And she took a lot of flack, an awful lot of flack, for the way she managed that. Now, so those three episodes 
I I would describe as traumatic for for anyone in in a leadership position. So for me, it's no surprise to me uh, that that she feels that there is not the. I think her term was no more fuel in the mm. tank. How brave! How brilliant! How wonderful uh, that somebody has said actually let someone else take over now because I've got no more fuel in my tank. And when you when you look at those three things, and there must be more that she's had to deal with that are all traumatic, hats off, respect to her. So Laura, um, just as an introduction to our dear listeners, um, looks after a lot of our mental health content for Seedle. Um, and I know you work mm-hmm. in a lot of... Um, mental health roles um you also i know have worked in 999 call centers which is your emergency services to the international community so dealing with rather you know exasperated people a lot of the time um but i I guess a a great starting question for you laura um would be how prevalent is burnout in leadership based on your experiences and, and and what are you hearing from in the communities you deal with at the moment yeah, I think that's a, that's actually a really good question, and I I really um, I you know I I have to say hats off to this lady because she is on the world stage, and she has admitted to everybody that she hasn't got any fuel left in the tank, and not only is she a crisis leader as JP was saying, she's also got to just deal with everyday life, family life, you know the, the day in day out duties of a PM, um, and being on the world stage whilst doing that, and actually in leadership we see burnout quite a bit, but it's not often talked about and I think you know the, the pressure that world leaders or, or in fact we all face in the workplace in our lives is really really prevalent um, and I think if you think about ourselves we can you know when we talk about actually how much fuel do we have left in the tank we can we can actually really make that um, we can think about that for ourselves as well, can't we? And think about actually how much have we got for ourselves going forward. And in leadership, I see this all the time where people are just putting the hours in. Technology is massive now, isn't it? Um, our hours have increased in our daily work. Um, you know, people are experiencing more and more burnout. And actually, the loneliness that you talk about comes at the top. But actually, loneliness is one of the things that burnout really, really can affect. And when you get into loneliness, you then can get into other mental health disorders like anxiety and depression. And then they can all kind of come together and and really create quite a a decline in people's emotional stability. Um, So it's a big thing. And it's not just for leaders. It's it's for everybody. But we do see it at the top. Um, And I think it's great that we've talked about this and that she's come out and, and said, openly it opens the doors to other people being able to do that with um leaders in particular and, and I, i'm unashamedly saying leaders because it, obviously we're it's a leadership podcast but i totally get everything you're saying around the wider organization um mm. I, i'm i'm gonna put i mean i'm gonna playing devil's advocate here because i reckon i am also a position of leadership which requires me to kind of balance the everything yeah um, what's the risk to a country like new zealand having a leader in place that has burnt out and therefore and i'm I'm, by the way i disagree with these statements but i'm saying it purely to provoke conversation here in case i was listening thinking i'll get get quotes in the future being provocative monkey yeah exactly um but you know anything less (laughs) but 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 if i was to stand you know um if i'm talking to potential investors in this an organization and i say i'm stuck struggling with my my mental health um i'm i'm at risk of burnout or I stand up in front of my team of people and say, I'm exhausted, I can't do this anymore. Um, mm. uh, you know, what does that do though to the stability of the organization? And therefore, how do we balance supporting our leaders at the top of organizations better without sabotaging people's livelihoods? Because actually by ironically saying to an investor, I'm struggling with my mental health as a leader, inadvertently may prevent that company from investing, which might mean all the people that report into me lose their jobs. Or I stand up yeah. in front of people and key people leave the business because if the boss doesn't isn't coping, then how on earth can I cope? I'm struggling, but if they're saying they can't cope, then forget it, I'm off. Well, here's a different take that I have on that. So if you if you stand up and say that you are suffering from burnout or any sort of mental health decline, right? And that you're actively seeking support, but actually you're highlighting that. For a business, actually, 
that is that is quite stable in the sense that you can get support they know where you're at and actually from my point of view you will be much more mentally healthy when you work on yourself and you're able to get the support that you need rather than just saying I've got this uh, of course you know if people don't work on themselves or they don't get the support they need then burnout can lead to isolation not doing our jobs um, perhaps the full capacity um, you know letting people down um, we get cynicism with the with the role because we don't feel like there's any point doing it in burnout or we just feel so overwhelmed we have to check out and that for a business isn't great but actually if you stand up and say we advocate mental health I have suffered with burnout or I am going through these things but we work on it as a as a group as a team then actually you're more likely to be much more mentally healthy and actually I think that's part of life so my take on it's a little bit different I think actually it's good for us to talk out on it. Can I have an opinion as well? Hmm. Of course. <laughs> May I? <laughs> well, <I'd> say, <clears throat> I, I, I think what I, I completely agree with everything that you've just said, Laura. And there was a banker a few years ago, quite a senior French banker, I think, um, who burnt out. He's quite, he was the CEO of a, of a, of a major bank. And, and I, I think, you know, he's a family man. And, I remember that as well. And I can't remember his name, but yeah, I just I thought, God, how marvellous that you can actually be he so some, honest and do that. He had that. some sabbatical, didn't he? He had to leave for a while. To, but he's, I, I, I'm pretty sure he's come back with, with gusto. Um, his great mate from down the pub. And um, <laughs> the, point, the point that I wanted to um, make was, and I'm not going to make this all about me, but, you know, I was talking about education earlier and... My education, for whatever reason, um, was traumatic. And I had a, a very traumatic education. And I, I went to a very brutal, brutal school. Um, and during that time, I um, was unable to learn. I was, I was totally flipping traumatized. Um, and and I, I, I didn't learn a damn thing. Now, if you if you think about CEOs who are, you know, in trauma for for whatever reason, and Yusinda had very good reason uh, to be traumatized by some of the stuff that she was experiencing. And as you said, Laura, you know, on the doing that on the world stage. Wow. Mm, yeah. Um, what are you going to learn? You're not going to be able to learn a damn thing. You know, your awareness might reduce right down because, you know, if you, you're traumatized, you're, you're not you're not able to, to check out the bigger picture and take stuff in. You know, you're not you're not you're not able to, to learn stuff. Um, and I think that's really dangerous. I think that's really, you know, mm -hmm. leaders need to be really, you know, if they're on the world stage, they've got to know the world stage. Um, and they, they've got to be very, very aware. And if you, you if you don't have the um, wherewithal at that point to be able to do that, you're in trouble. That was my yeah. point. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think also, you know, people, leaders need to be conscious, consciously aware of what's going on, don't they? They need to yeah. be aware of that. And, and trauma as well as a whole, that's a whole nother kind of topic as well, you know, with people's trauma yeah. and how that kind of manifests. But I totally agree. There is there is that danger if if people aren't in that position. And, and she's done the right thing. She said that actually... You know, Jacinda, I haven't got enough fuel in the tank and I'm passing it over. And sometimes that's the best way to that's the best way to deal with it, isn't it? Yeah. Other times it, you know, in leader, other leaders, it's about saying how you feel, getting the support. I know that I was just showing um, an article on there a moment ago um, where someone's turned that around. Sabbaticals, those kind of things. There's that was the that, that was the person. Do. Yeah. So the Lloyd, it was Lloyd's ah. Bank, chief executive. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, brilliant. Born, six months in the job, staggering and burnout. Taking time I was slightly traumatised by Anne because I thought my computer was going all funny <laughs> Sorry. And, and I didn't <laughs> realise. I did wonder as well. I, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's all going wrong today. Ah! I'm resigning. Um. <laughs> excuse me um from technological technological burnout um so the first time laura um hypothetically um i'm a chief executive um mm -hmm. and i report into shareholders um and a board um or i am a business owner that um is hasn't got the ability to resign 
what's your advice to them if they're feeling like Yacinda Arden has done in terms of how they communicate that to their boards, their investors, their shareholders, um, the mm. banks, the financial institutions that might be underwriting their risk? Um, how do they best tackle their feelings? Because I suspect a lot of people will not have the luxury of being able to resign like Yacinda has done. Yeah, sure. And actually, we, you know, I've seen that massively across all the, the groups that I've worked with before over the years. And I think the key to this is communication. It's about, you know, it's about being honest with yourself as well and not trying to run away or hide away from how you feel. And I think leaders um, generally, there's this kind of concept, to, you know, for, for lots of people that they don't want people to understand how they feel because of fear of not looking how they should do or leading in the right way. And I think, you know, to be a leader, to be an even stronger leader than what you are now, communication and looking after yourself is key priority because you, like you say, you can't you can't run from a from an empty tank. So you have to kind of fuel yourself up all of the time. So getting a team of people around you, seeking professional help, delegating, asking for support, but also having a bit of a business self care checklist. You know, we talk about self care for ourselves and doing things that make us feel good and keep us keep that tank full. But actually, in business, is there a self care checklist we could put together that supports you know everybody kind of supporting that person so the business thrives rather than going the other way but it for me it, it is all about standing up and saying what you need and communicating that in the right way and if you do that you can't really go far wrong in my book mm. mr bradley mm. any any while we have the expert here is there any other questions we would like to ask laura legend laura she's known amongst friends do you think the do you think the kubler ross model is still relevant Yes, I do. Absolutely. Why do you think it's still relevant? Do you? One, one second for the listener's benefit, this model you speak of? The Kubler-Ross model is a way to manage grief. And I was just listening to a podcast the other day uh, that was not questioning the elements of it, um, but the education around it, the training of it, um, People, people can jump into it and think that it's transitional, um, that you, you start at the very beginning with your grief um, and you go through all the stages. And it's like a, it's like a process from one thing to, to, to the other, um, rather mm -hmm. than, you know, so you can go back into anger, um, even though you kind of reconciled everything, and then you, you're back into a kind of denial <laughs> position or whatever. And it really, it really got me thinking about that because I, I was trained on it, on the base that it's transitional, that you go from from one stage of grief to the next stage. Then you, then you get into, um, you know, you get into your anger. Then you get into denial, and then you get into acceptance and and all of that kind of stuff. But thankfully, my memory is is a bit like a goldfish, so I've never understood the sequence anyway. Uh, so I think I've always thought of it myself as Dr. being Durant. a bit flipping random. Um, but I guess that that's the point, really, is is that uh, I I think it's important for people to to when they when they come across the Kubler Ross model of of managing grief um, to actually understand that sometimes you're going to be angry, you know, other times you're going to yeah. be. Uh, do you know what I mean? Uh, that's the point I wanted to make. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, I think my actual thoughts on that are, are really, really simple in the sense that, you know, grief can take different turns. It's different for everybody. It's like mental health. OK, two people have depression. They're going to show different symptoms. They're going to experience things different. Grief is is no different. I think the model is relevant. I think it's still useful to be used. But I think, like you say, you can have anger for a short period of time and then you might go into something else and go back to it. There's no, you know, whatever you feel is relevant and actually whatever you need at the time is relevant. So the model is just a model. You know, do we know if a model works? Yes or no. Is it a truth? Is it a lie? Who knows? It's just a model. And if you apply it and it works for you, fantastic if it doesn't then you find something else but actually I think it's a really good raised point that you make that things do change and actually sometimes people are in stages for longer than others and that's okay 
Very pragmatic, I, I, Laura. I like I, your response. I, I think it's a marvellous response, exactly what we wanted. Um, and I just think that the you know the world is changing so damn quickly. You know, one minute we got a war, the next we've got a, 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 mm. an economic crisis. We've got um, people expected to do more with less um, in the workplace. So I, uh, the Kubler Ross model is interesting. Uh, if people want to go and look it up. Um, in terms of the way that you handle this kind of stuff, um, but um, just just understand that people go in and out of different stages of of grief and managing things, and you know people are going through a lot of grief at the mm. moment. You know we've yes. only just yeah. kind of started to get in grips with the with the pandemic and and stuff like that. Um, and so uh, sometimes you look at these models. I think I think we just have to to be to be really careful that people don't think that you have to go through this in a linear fashion. No, we go in agree. and out of all of these different mm. um, stages. And and I think it supports your point really is is that we need good team. Identify your team around you. Um, know yes. know who Team Laura is. Know who Team Ant is. Who Team Team JB is. Really think about it. Um, and yeah. make use of that support group and and where you need it, go and get some damn good therapy. I have, and it's one of the best things that I have done over the years to support my mental health and to make me mm. feel a lot better about myself. Oh, that's great to hear. Ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately, I have to tell you that um, our hour is up. Oh. Already? Already? He loves all his sound effects. I know, exactly. Um, Laura... Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Laura. Um, Lovely to see thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, for those of you that are listening to the podcast, obviously do listen to our back uh, archive. There's plenty of episodes. There's four, nearly four years worth of stuff to look at now or listen God to. Um, if you're listening and haven't had your question read out this week, sorry, we ran out of time. We got too engrossed in Laura. It's not often we get a legend like Laura on our podcast that's willing to come on and and, and play with me and JB. Um, but if you have uh, submitted a question last week or the week before, we are going to get to the other two questions we've got in the tank for next time. Additionally, if you do have a question about anything to do with leadership, let us know. GLP at Seedle.com. That's GLP for Global Leadership Podcast at Seedle.com. And it'll come into the inbox and we'll tackle those next time. Um, Laura, we're going to ask you, we always, at the end of our podcast, we like to wrap up with what are you up to on a personal level or even work level? However you want to answer it, what's your plans for the next few days? So the plans for the next two days, I'm doing a lot of training and coaching, which I absolutely love um, in the um, trauma recovery area. So that's what I specialize in. So I'm doing that with some students. So I'm loving that. I'm also, do you know what I'm doing today? I'm going to go and pick up my poorly car because my car just had enough. Mm. Oh. Maybe it was burnt out. Oh. Maybe it just it had no didn't more fuel know. in the tank. Put yeah, some it petrol did, it, in it. It, it needed some more fuel. So I'm off to, to go and pick my car up actually today. So that's <laughs> it did a Yacinda, but rather than it completely quitting and going to the scrapyard, you sent it to a spa break. Like I it. I did. It went for its little spa and I'm gonna go and pick that up. So yeah, I have a really exciting week this week. I love I love doing the, the trauma stuff and, and the recovery. And yeah, I'm I've got a good week planned. So thank you. Thank you for coming on, Laura, as well. Me and JB genuinely appreciate it. And I know the listeners will as well. So thank you for that. Mr. Bradley, your exciting plans for the coming weeks and days? Well, I'm going to, um, after this, I'm going off to chase a lady. Um, Kiss chase? And I, just, just chase a lady. Any random lady I can find. Um, <laughs> and no, this is, this is a lovely lady who's um, got some red velvet curtains uh, for my pop-up puppet theatre. And uh, we have been working together for some time, building uh, these wonderful, wonderful curtains. And uh, her name is Lily Stitch. Jilly Stitch is a wonderful, wonderful family lady uh, who is very kind and very good at stitching. And now I don't know what else to say apart from that. And I'm, be I'm beginning to feel quite emotional now. Oh, it nice. sounds, well, these sound great, these curtains. Oh, they are. They're, they're marvellous. They're, they're, they're designed, you know, like if you go to a theatre and you, yeah. you kind of, it all kind of goes, bloop, 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 you know, when, yes, when the curtain, yes, yeah. well, so they're designed so that my daughter, who's an opera singer, who, who is becoming a, a puppet theatre person uh, and opera singer at the same time, she just pulls these oh. back and the curtains just sort of gently open. open up. So it's, it's proper mm -hmm. theatre 
I've made this seven foot theatre. Um, with They're two... supposed to compact into the back of a car, isn't it? And, they, and, and it all compacts into the back of a car. It is, it oh, is wow. probably the most complicated thing I've ever done in my life. But Can such some is pictures, my... please? Yes, I will send pics mm. when I've got when I've got my velvet curtains, which is now my yeah, obsession. So yeah, mm. um, but once oh, I've got yeah. them, I will I will do a little little show for you um, and um, send a video. Marvelous! Love to, to see that. Well, but enjoy... apart from that, I've got loads of bloody coaching to do and <laughs> and some um, webinars and things. But I, uh, apart from that, it's all good. Now, what about you, Ant? Though I, I know that we're running out of time because you've got um, a full diary of things. I am, yeah, packed out this week. Um, me and a work colleague are off to Bermuda next week for a client piece of work, which will be interesting. Um, look forward to reporting back on that one. I'll say no more now, but I suspect I might come back more burnt out than when I left, based on what I've been told to expect. So that'll be interesting. Got some big, important client meetings. A lot is happening, actually, with Seedle at the moment. And um, keeping up is is a challenge, but fun nonetheless. But uh, anyway, uh, ladies and gents, thank you very much for listening to our podcast today. Laura, thank you for joining us. It's been really nice. We should perhaps have you on again at some point. Thank we've got yeah, more time lovely. to kick oh, around. Thank subjects. you for having me. Thank you. Great pleasure. Um, anyway, I've been Anthony Price. And I've been JB. And it's been great fun. Thanks, Laura. And see you again soon. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.